Hey church, good to be with you. It's an online worship service. It's the first of the month. We're going to take communion. So stop what you're doing. Prepare some bread, prepare a cup, and be ready to take communion with us later in the service. In the meantime, let's sing one of my favorite, favorite songs. It's an absolute jam. Here we go. With my 
mercy strong to carry shame and nail it to a tree. You alone hold the power to song has a great lyric. It says, no grave can hold what your grace has justified. Uh, And that is echoed in scripture. I'm in Hebrews chapter 9, middle of part of verse 26. It says this, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. I want you to focus this week for communion on one idea, that his sacrifice on the cross was completely sufficient. There's nothing else that's needed. It's echoed in scripture over and over. His blood is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Uh, Sometimes we have our sin, we have our regrets, and we just carry it around as if the Lord hasn't been able to forgive that. And the reality is that's just our decision because scripture says that it was once and for all. That's it. It's sufficient for you. 
reach out, prepare your heart uh, to be reminded of the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We're gonna sing one more song and then we'll do a little communion time. represents the body of Christ. It was broken, it was laid in the ground, and supernaturally it was knit back together and raised to life. And scripture says when he comes back in bodily form, he is no longer needed to deal with sin. He's just coming for those who are eagerly awaiting his return, according to the scripture. Let us eat and remember the broken and resurrected body of Jesus Christ. This represents the blood that was spilled. The blood that was spilled as an offering for many. 
And earlier in Hebrews, it says, it's not like the priests who had to keep going back year after year to atone again and again. This was the sacrifice once and for all, for everybody, for you, me, people that have never, that haven't even been born yet. His blood is sufficient. It is all encompassing. It is the forgiveness of sins. Drink and remember the blood of Jesus. It is so good to see you. It is the best month of the year. March Madness, my birthday. It's just so many good things. So happy March to you, my friends. Hey, my name is Josh. I have a couple of announcements for you guys. First of all, if there's anything that we could be praying for you for this week, we would love to pray. You can text any prayer request to 97,000. Please do so. Uh, We legitimately check those regularly and would love to pray for you. Anything, nothing is too small. Send them on over. Ladies, there is a women's courtyard gathering this upcoming Monday night here at the church in the courtyard. It's going to be a great time as you guys are preparing for Holy Week. Gentlemen, two weeks from now on Saturday, March 20th, we have our men's breakfast. It's going to be a great time. We've been putting together a sweet plan for that day. Come and check that out at 8.30 a.m. You can already sign up for that, so go ahead and do that online right now. Now, speaking of online, our social media is uh, run by Miss Stephanie and Miss Annie. They do a phenomenal job. If you're not following us on Instagram or Facebook, go ahead and check those out. They are stepping up their game, so you're not going to want to miss the stuff that's going on here on ABF on social media. Finally, 
We are in need of some volunteers, as one might uh, imagine, at a church. So if you have been thinking, man, it would be so sweet to just, like, volunteer, we'd love to have you. Go ahead and send an email over to info at Agora Bible or contact us however you want. We'd love to get you plugged in into a variety of different uh, areas. Finally, I know I said that before, but I actually mean it this time. Uh, thank you guys so much for your continued giving. You can give online. You can mail in a check, however you want to do it. Uh, if you've noticed on the back of the bulletin or on the financial update emails, we do have a decent chunk of ground to catch up on. And we just ask that you'd pray about um, your role, what that could potentially look like. So we love you guys. Thank you. Hey, here's Pastor Scott. Well, thank you, Josh, and thank you, worship team, for leading us. Uh, so good to be together in God's Word uh, this week, and uh, fun as we're starting to hear uh, different uh, news about kids going back to school. We're really uh, grateful for that. We heard uh, just today that uh, Gora High School's back, so my son's going back. Uh, really looking forward to that later this month. Some of you had the joy of sending your elementary kids back to school even this past week. And uh, I don't know, I, I think back to that time as such a, a sweet season of life. I remember when the kids would start a new year, you kind of have that time where you did that pep talk with them. Uh, to kind of set the, the course, set expectations for the year. I remember sitting down with the kids before they'd start the beginning of the year and have the talk explaining, you know, you have to listen to your teacher. You need to get in line. You got to keep your hands to yourself. You know, you got to sit in your desk, but have fun coloring pictures. Make sure you eat the full lunch that mom packed. You remember these conversations? Have fun at recess and make sure at, at nap time you close your eyes. Anybody miss nap time, uh, that era of life? All of these things, you ended the conversation by saying, hey, well, you'll know though, the good news is we're at the end of the day, we're, this is usually Adrian picking them up, we're gonna be there to pick you up at the end of the day. It was a beautiful little talk that you'd have with them going into elementary. Then fast forward that a few years to junior high it's a very different conversation when you say, Adrian, where you're helping clarify expectations. It's more like, hey, listen, kids, things are about to get real right now. You're about to get intense. You're going to have classes where they talk about things that you have no idea what they're talking about. Algebra, ge geometry, what in the world? How do you use that in your life? The truth is out. You don't. So you set the expectations trying to explain to them what they should expect relationally. Things are going to go really terribly. Kids are going to say really awful things to you. You're going to learn some new words you're not allowed to reuse in the house. You, you explain you're going to have you're going to have friends betray you. You're going to have unrequited love. You're going to go through the full gamut of emotions. All of that is part of the junior high experience. But don't worry, kids. It will only get better. That's more the talk that we had uh, with our junior hires as they were starting. And really, there's some truth to that. Part of you, though, your heart breaks because you realize that they kind of have to go through that stuff because it's part of their development and growth. They have to, at some point, collide with this fallen broken world. That's the reality of junior high. And I was thinking about that as I think about this interaction that we're going into or actually continuing with Jesus as he talks to his disciples. He knows that there's some really hard days ahead and he's trying as best as he can to clarify expectations so they're not caught off guard and not 
pushed and maybe even potentially fall away. So I'm excited to see where this text takes us here today. I believe that the lessons that were valuable for his disciples then are still valuable for us today. Let me pray before we begin exploring that. Lord Jesus, thanks for this chance to be together again. Just thank you for just the movement that you're doing in this church, even as you're starting to bring so uh, many back on our campus and just the, the work that you're doing. We've prayed for relief from COVID and it seems like we're getting some glimpses of that. We continue to pray for protection over our, our church campus, over our church family. We do ask now, though, that you would just work through this passage, that you'd teach us, that you'd meet us in the only way that you can when we open your word. We ask that you'd be large, that you'd be active, that you'd be uh, loud in our ear right now. We ask that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so chapter 16, and I'm going to be able to hit on a lot of it, but obviously I mentioned a couple weeks ago may not cover every single verse, but we'll start in verse 1. It says, I have, this is Jesus talking. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. He wants to set expectations. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. We'll pause there. This is a, a little bit of a continuation. Remember him talking a, a couple weeks ago that he was explaining to him, hey, if they, if they hated me, you got to understand they're going to hate you also. But now he's getting a little bit more specific as to what they should expect. What does it, he tell them to look forward to? The look forward to, not in a positive, but the look forward to understanding it was going to happen is that they're going to be put out of the synagogues. What does that actually mean? In that day and age, the synagogue, everything kind of revolved around that. To be pushed out of a synagogue would be kind of like present day for somebody that's really active and engaged at ABF. It'd be like being removed from the church, where a lot of the things that you lean into, the place where you worship, where you learn God's word, your friend network, your business context, where you find community for your kids, that would be all taken away. That's how it worked in a Jewish community is everything, the life of the community, even more so than present day, revolved around the synagogue. But even more than just the loss of connection, you also see in this text that they would have physical harm. Listen to Jesus' his, words. He says, whoever kills you. In other words, that shouldn't shock them that people's lives would be taken for their association or their affiliation with Jesus Christ. Now that's when the advice kind of parts way from the junior high talk I mentioned earlier. This is where it gets pretty intense. You can imagine what that life would be like, knowing that your life could be taken because of your choice to pursue a relationship and an ongoing discipleship of Jesus Christ. That's what they were to expect. Why would they have such venom towards them. Why would there be such hatred? Jesus explains that to them. You see in the text as well. He says in verse three, they will do these things because they have not known the father nor me. The reason behind it, it's been an age old one. If you don't know and follow God, that's going to take you to some pretty dark places. 
You can look all the way back in the Old Testament, back in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 17, verse 6 describes the people of that day. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. When it says no king, that means they weren't submitting their lives or submitting themselves to God. They had no leadership. And so they went and they followed what they thought was right. Sometimes you hear a text like that and you're like, well, that doesn't seem that bad. But here's the important thing in the scope of scripture. We also have to understand that scripture teaches that we're inherently sinful. In fact, Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So when you don't know God, you operate out of the the heart, what you believe. And here's the problem is that our heart deceives us and misleads us. It takes us down some really dark, confusing roads. You might say, pastor, well, what's what's the example of that? Where do you see that present day? I would say the most blatant area that I'm seeing that in present day is some of the confusion around sexuality. When you go generation after generation of not submitting to God's leadership nor his word as a guide for your life, and that's why there's the confusion that we have present day where you have people that are calling the men that are calling themselves women and vice versa. It's really heartbreaking because it's so far from God's best. Romans 1.27 describes what happens when God is not leading in your life, when you're not following his word or his direction. It says, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Again, far from God's best. You see where the man's heart takes you can be a place that's so far from God's design and his plan. And it's really heartbreaking to watch. And that's where these people were at that God or Jesus is trying to warn or explain to them. We still see that today, someone that's not following his word, but they believe that they're doing it in the name of Jesus or in the name of God. They're one that they're following. Think about even 9-11, what happened with the religious zealots. They thought they were doing things to, to honor God, but so far from the truth. Think about even further back in history, even Hitler. If you do some research on his life, he was convinced that he was doing what was right in his own eyes, though. That's the problem. Takes you to some really dark places. You see, it's important for us to understand and to be able to make sense out of the opposition that we experience on this planet to understand the bigger picture. I've talked about this before as a church family, that we're living, that we exist on a planet that hosts every single fallen spiritual being, every fallen angel, including Satan himself. In addition to hosting all of the fallen spiritual beings, It also, this planet hosts billions of people that are doing their lives completely independent from God's leadership. We shouldn't be shocked by any degree of pain or suffering or opposition that we experience. He wants to make sure that we're clear in our understanding and he wants us to keep, he says he says these things, to keep you from falling away. 
We can't fall away from God because of the behavior of people that aren't following God, that aren't submitted to him. That's the reality that he points to in the first section. He continues in the conversation. It says, verse, second half of verse four, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, listen to what he'll do. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. We'll stop there for a, a few minutes. Jesus explains to them why he has a, why, why there is this opposition, why they've experienced this uh, and why he hasn't talked about it up until this point. You really think about it, any good parent realizes that you teach age-appropriate lessons to kids. I don't know if there's any of you that grew up in the church during the flannel graph era. I think that was maybe even before you, or were you around for some flannel graph? We still, we still do that in Sparks. I love that. I remember very specifically Flannel Graph Noah. Anybody remember Flannel Graph Noah? I always look forward to that story. It was always fun to see all the cool animals lined up to get on the boat. Then the story of God's promise that's accentuated with a rainbow. I mean, there is a lot of fun in the Noah story, but I don't remember anything about the story that they explained to me as a kid that was about total global annihilation. It was the judgment of God taking out every single family on this planet other than Noah's family. You're like, man, that was really intense. Now, as a little kid, that might not have been appropriate for me to have that level of information or detail. Here, Jesus has explained to him, up until now, he's been with them. But now that he's leaving, he finds it important that they have appropriate expectations. Appropriate, once he's leaving, he wants them to know some of this stuff. It's interesting, I found in verse five, that the observation that Jesus makes, he says, none of you is asking, where are you going? None of you is asking, maybe a better translation might be, none of you is asking, what are you up to? What are you up to? Nobody's considering the picture of what is actually happening in all of this. They're so caught up on their personal sorrows that they're not stopping to think of, whoa, what is God at work doing? So often that's still our issue today. We can get so kind of tunnel vision looking at our circumstances, kind of uh, just, just focused on, man, this stinks. So I mean, they're just thinking about how their life is gonna be miserable, absent of Jesus being around and they're kind of caught up in their sorrow, but they're missing the bigger picture. The bigger picture is this. What was Jesus up to? Jesus was securing their eternity to be spent with him. How cool is that? He's like, no one's asking where I'm going. Nobody's thinking about that. You're only focused on the, your own sorrow. 
But he, even in that, even in their childlike understanding of their circumstances, he still encourages them. I, I love that. He reminds them that he's providing a resource for him that wouldn't be possible unless he left. Someone that, that would uh, take the place that would be even greater than having Jesus there, which is still hard for our minds to grasp. But I find it interesting for us uh, that are still caught up in the kind of me, me, me mentality. We even think of Jesus, I hear it taught often, as our helper. And that's, uh, as the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, as our, as our helper. And that's definitely a, a true statement. But when he sends the help, notice what it tells us that he's there to help do. What is he trying to do? He's not coming as a, a personal servant to kind of help you and, and hold your hand, although he does do that at times. Instead, what does he say? He's showing up as a helper, but what is he getting after? He's on a mission. He's on, on a mission with a plan to convict people of this planet concerning, concerning righteousness. I'm sorry, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He's here to help mankind understand that we have sinned, we have fallen short of God's perfect standard. He's wanting to make sure that we'll never meet the righteous parameters or demands of a holy and perfect God, but Jesus amazingly does meet those expectations, does meet those requirements, and it's through faith in him that we're rescued that's only way that we're, that we're uh, set free from the prison of sin is the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus was up to. Sometimes I would suggest when we're in the middle of the chaos is that we have to look past our sorrows and see the bigger picture of what God's at do, do, what God's doing. He's at work. He's doing something that's greater than just our circumstances. Verse 12 will continue. It's another message he's wanting to instill in these young men. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. In other words, you're not quite ready for it. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that you are to come that are to come he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you all that the father has is mine therefore i said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you a little while verse 16 and you will see me no longer and again a little while and you will see me so some of the, his disciples said to one another what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And a, again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. We'll pause there. You can see there's some confusion there. Jesus is saying, you won't see me in a little while, but you will see me in a little while. It sounds now as we look back and you're like, well, that makes sense. He was going to be gone because he's going to be dead for three days in the, the tomb, but he'd be restored, brought back to life. It's easy in hindsight to make sense of it. But as these guys are listening, it must have sounded kind of crazy, like a fortune cookie. You're like, gone a little while, back a little while. You're like, what are you talking about? You have to wonder sometimes why Jesus uses this, why he explains these things in terms that are maybe even a little bit cloudy or hard to understand. 
It's trying to get the message across. The big idea is that this is only temporary. This is only temporary. So why does he use, the, use these words that leave them in such confusion? I would suggest two reasons why he doesn't always spell it out perfectly clear. The first reason is kind of a, a, an important one in the life of a believer, that we grow in our dependence on him. I like how John Calvin suggests as it relates to this passage. He says that the Lord allows us to be stupefied for a time. I like that description. So that we will learn our own spiritual poverty before he brings clarity to us. If it were all easy, we take credit for our own brilliance rather than humbly seek the Lord for understanding. When we recognize our own spiritual dullness, I like that description, and seek the Lord for insight, then when the Lord gives us light, we glorify him, not ourselves. You see, it's a healthy part of the process that we have to realize or come to the conclusion, I can't figure this out on my own. I'm dependent on him. I can't do this. Anything in our life that brings us or exposes our frailty and dependence on him is a good thing. Drives me crazy when someone says, and they say it like they're quoting scripture, they'll say, you know, the Lord never gives you more than you can handle. It's like, I'm like, actually, that's exactly the opposite of truth. The Lord consistently gives us more than we can handle with the intention of us drawing close, leaning into him because we're dependent on him. And here's the other reason as it relates to this dependency thing. Some of these lessons can't be learned from listening to a preacher talk about it. Let's be real. Some of these things, you have to walk a mile down that road before you actually know what dependence looks like. You don't just stumble on that from hearing it on an online sermon. Second reason I would suggest growing dependence, also developing trust. He's developing trust in us. They're given just enough information, if you think about it, to hold them over. You see, but that's so often a critical resource that we as believers have to have, is the ability to have a limited amount of information, but to still trust and cling to him, even with that bit of information. Because really, if you think about it, that's so much of the Christian life. You're like, well, I only see a little piece of the picture. This is gonna demand that I trust in his character, his track record, his faithfulness that I've seen in my own life. We don't always get all the answers when we want them. Think about these guys, these disciples, they went into the agony of the cross with a lot of things not yet answered in their minds. I like even earlier back in the book of John, John 2, when he's talking about it, it says, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. Things that they would later connect the dots with actually help deepen their faith. Sometimes he gives a little bit so that it were pushed and forced to have to think a little bit deeper on these things before it's finally exposed. And when it's finally exposed, you're like, ah, oh, man, that's rich. I, I, I now see what he was up to. 
Verses 18 through 30, he keeps on reiterating, just giving them enough information that they'll be encouraged that this whole thing, the suffering that he's described to them, that it's only temporary, that it's only temporary. In verse 21, I like it. He uses the example of a mother giving birth. Lindsay, I thought you would appreciate this. Verse 21, he says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. You've never once heard of a woman that necessarily looks forward to childbirth, but lots of moms that absolutely love babies. We don't look forward to the the pain, but here's the, the important truth for us believers to understand. There's a huge difference when pain is purposeful. I'll say that again. There's a huge difference when pain is purposeful. When it's purposeful, you're like, I can make this through, I can make it through this when there's purpose behind it. See, there's a big difference between purposeless suffering and purposeful suffering. Purposeless suffering, you start to question and blame God. You get, you self-medicate and a lot of times often even quit in a situation, quitting on God, quitting on people. You embrace the idea that you're a victim and how could God do this to you? But purposeful suffering is just the opposite. It develops your character and trust in Jesus. You become stronger on the other side of it because you see that he was developing resilience and trust through the entire exercise. We pick and choose how we respond to our suffering. Here's an important thing to understand as it relates to suffering as well. I think there's a certain myth that kind of has invaded American culture or maybe our community that has this thought. And this thought is that, man, I just have to persevere through this difficult season. And on the other side of this, it's all gonna be so much better. On the other side of this, there's gonna be the next season of my life, man, it's gonna be, it's gonna be absent of pain. I heard a older senior pastor in his later years, he says he understood just the opposite. He found that in there's, there's seasons of life, every single season of life, there's good and bad parts of it. I just need to, it's not that I just need to endure to get to the good, but unfortunately, good and bad are concurrent in every season of this life. Haven't you guys seen that to be true? Like, it's never like, okay, I, I finally made it. Now I'm on the good part of life. No, this season, he's helping us understand here as he clarifies expectations for his disciples that, man, you're gonna go through hard stuff all the way through. There's no section of of life that's absent, completely absent of pain. The absence of pain is not in this lifetime. It's in the life to come. That's where we place our hope. So if you're in this cycle of thinking, man, if I just get through this, It's gonna be great. Man, that's gonna lead you to disappointment. Purposeful suffering is key. Jumping ahead just a little bit in in those section of verses, he's really reiterating the same big idea all the way up to verse 30, that the idea that this is only temporary, but then the last idea that he leaves him with is the idea of this, 
that you will ultimately see victory. Listen to his words. Jesus answered them, verse 31. Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. And when you will be scattered, each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for the father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Same idea we've seen, but take heart. This is the key statement. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. First thing you see in that section, which I find is interesting, is that somebody that should be receiving comfort, Jesus going into a really dark couple of hours ahead of him. Instead, he's giving comfort. Basically, listen to what he's saying to his disciples. He's saying, when you scatter and abandon me, don't worry, I won't be alone. I have the Father. He wants them, even in their abandonment of him, to have peace. To me, that's a crazy kind of a love. Like you're, you shouldn't, when you're thinking about somebody about to abandon and leave you and head to your homes in the middle of his hardest hours, you're not trying to, you're not concerned about whether they're gonna be able to peacefully relax in those hours. But that's the kind of crazy love that Jesus has for us. That's the kind of crazy love that says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the important thing for us to understand. Bad behavior doesn't separate us from his love. Bad behavior doesn't separate us from his love. Even when these guys are about to do some stupid stuff, he's saying, you know what? I just wanna make sure that you have peace, that you know that I'm not gonna be alone, that I have the father that I'm clinging to. He's worried about them having hope in the middle of it. Then he leaves them with a final thought. I already pointed to it. The final thought is this, is that you're on the winning team. Sometimes when we're in the middle of this chaos in the world that we're placed in, it's so easy to think just the opposite to think, man, it just seems like we're being overcome with darkness, like the dark is pushing a lot harder than the light in our present era. But Jesus says just the opposite. He says, even when it still looks dark and and grim, I have overcome the world. I also find it interesting that he makes that statement, I have overcome the world before he's even gone to the cross. Do you notice that he's talking about it in the past tense? That's how secure he is in the events that are about to happen in the days to come. So crazy when you think about it. You see, when we look at things, we look at our circumstances and where there's a degree of panic. I think of the, this last era or last stretch where every time you watch the news, you turn it on, you, you kind of, by the end of that time, you just feel kind of anxious. What's happening next? What's gonna, going on? It sure seems like it's in a, in a downward spiral. You watch some of that and it leaves you feeling kind of anxious. You flip over to another channel. I heard another pastor, Mark Driscoll, talking about this. You flip over to the history channel There's a certain exhale in it. It was funny, he refers to the history channel as the Hitler channel because that's really most of the stories that it focuses on. But really you start to see stories from the past and you start having a a certain degree of ease to it because you're like, you know what, I know the outcome. 
I know what God did on the end of the other side of that. I know that Hitler's taking a dirt nap. You know, like the, uh, some of this, it doesn't click until you get to look at it in the retrospect as you glance back at it in history. But here's the important thing for us to understand. When we're kind of caught up in the chaos and anxiety, he wants us, as he describes here, to have peace. To have peace because he has overcome the world. He's overcome the world. So for you to kind of get caught up in the chaos of all this, you're missing out on what he's offering, what he's extended to each one of us as followers of Jesus Christ is overcoming the world. So in summary, just to recap, we should expect opposition. We shouldn't be shocked by it, living in a planet of people that have rejected God and going their own way. We're going to run into opposition if we're clinging tightly to Jesus. That's just part of the deal. That's part of the experience of someone following Jesus Christ. But we need to look past our sorrows to see the bigger picture of what's going on. See the bigger picture of what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. He's trying to convict draw people to himself, point out their sin, their righteousness, and the restoration that we can have through Jesus Christ. Then the reminder for each one of us, this talk that we maybe needed to hear, that this is only temporary. Just like a, a, like a mother giving birth on the other side of it, the joy of life will exceed all of this. It's purposeful suffering. And then ultimately, the big picture when we look at the end of the story, that he has overcome the world. Therefore, as his followers, we have to. We praise him for that. Let me pray just as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this passage and what a wonderful reminder that you have overcome the world. The things that weigh us down, that stress us out, that really take us off track and can divert us from our calling that you remind us that you have it all in the palm of your hand. We thank you for that reality. We thank you that you're in control. We thank you that everything to you is the history channel. We praise you for that in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me yet Waiting for change to come Knowing the For you have never failed me yet. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my
Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my church family. Well, thank you for being a part of this online worship service. I pray you have an amazing week ahead. If there's any way we can serve you, always feel free to reach out. God bless you. Have a great day.